After he said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage in Bethany, at the time called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you. As you you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So these who were sent departed and found it as they had been told. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing the cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As they rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road, as he now approached the path down from the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice in all deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. Now settle upon us and move through us, Lord. So the fruits of these next few moments would begin to be harvested now with new awareness, new insight, new hope, and a new certainty about our next steps in faith. Bless the words of my mouth that they might reflect not what I need to say, but what you want us to know. Let this time be your time, and let us be your people in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This sermon has to have a spoiler alert before I go any further. You heard the scripture read today about Jesus entering into the holy city on what we now call in this tradition Palm Sunday. But you know that's not the entire story of today. You know what a spoiler alert is, right? A spoiler alert is what you say when you're about to say something that goes beyond where maybe the listener has already known about the story. Like if you're going to talk to somebody about a movie, and they haven't seen the movie yet, and yet you're so excited to talk about it, you need to say in a group of friends, spoiler alert, so they can turn their ears off if they don't want to hear and spoil their seeing the movie for the first time. I think of uh, oh, thousands of movies, but, you know, The Sixth Sense. Remember The Sixth Sense a long time ago? I See Dead People was the quote from the movie. And You know, back in the day when you went to go see that, you needed to be careful if people were in front of you hadn't seen the movie yet. 
except to say you want to pay attention to Bruce Willis's role in the movie, right? I mean, that sort of becomes a, a shocker at the end of the thing. A few days ago, I was flipping channels, and I came across the movie The Sting. Some of you don't even know about that movie. Do you remember The Sting when Robert Redford was sexy? Remember that movie? Yes, indeed. You better believe that, girl. And so, you know, in that movie, there's an ending to that movie that, that was really fun to receive the first time. You didn't want someone to ruin it for you. Of course, we go to some movies that we do know uh, the ending already, even before we get in the theater. And a few years ago, again, there was the movie called Titanic. Do you remember that movie? Went by the thousands of people went to see that movie. Do you imagine anybody sitting in the movie theater said, oh, this is a story about an ocean liner going on a trip. I wonder what happened. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they knew it was going to sink. Oh, I hope it didn't ruin the movie for somebody. But you go, even if you know the ending of the movie, because you won't get caught up in the story. Right now in the movie theaters, there's a movie called Race. It's a story about Jesse Owens. You know, and if you know anything about your history of, of that story, you know that Jesse Owens uh, went and ran the Cathlon. And in the 1930s was from America in the 1930s, an African-American male leading the Olympic delegation. Just let that sink in a little bit. And then let it sink in a little bit that he ran to go compete in the decathlon, often called the world's greatest athlete. And also then put the fact that he was in Germany, in Berlin, in the 1930s, accomplishing his task in front of Adolf Hitler, sitting in the stands while his other Aryan superior athletes were being defeated by this African-American male. It's a powerful story. So you want to go see the movie, even though you know what happens in the end, because you want to get caught up in the story. Palm Sunday is like that. We, we know what's going to happen next, but we come because we want to get caught up in the story again. We're a Palm Sunday crowd, and Jesus is coming into the holy city, and You know what happened. The kids already acted it out for us. Earlier today, they were waving the palm branches, and they shouted, Hosanna. Jesus was coming into the holy city to those cheers, but we know the fact that those cheers soon turned to something else. And the week got really serious, really fast, after this Palm Sunday parade. Jesus was coming into the holy city. I told you already, he had set his face Earlier in his ministry, he was going to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because he had to do what was necessary. Why did Jesus come into the world? Why was he here? He could have stayed out in the hinterlands. He could have stayed outside the holy city. He was already known as a popular teacher, a healer. He could have had a very happy life and a good career doing that. But he didn't come to have that kind of life or career. He came into the world to bring about the kingdom of God. He came to make how God wanted us to live possible in this world, and that was in stark contrast to the way in which the world lives, and the kingdoms of the world. And so to bring in the kingdom of God, you don't do that out in the hinterlands. You come into the place of the power of the kingdom of the world and challenge the way in which the kingdom of the world oftentimes establishes itself as opposed to what the kingdom of God asks of us. Jesus was doing what was necessary in this Palm Sunday Sunday entry into the holy city and all that happened afterwards. He wanted to show that if you're in this kingdom of the world, you know what it's like. 
you grab power for power's sake for yourself. But in the kingdom of God, you use power for the sake of those who have no power. You know that he wants to show us that in the world, religion oftentimes leads to self-righteousness and hypocrisy. But in the kingdom of God, faith leads us to humility and acts of service. He wants us to know that in a world where so often we fight to make sure that we are served, we come to understand that in the kingdom of God, it is the last who shall be first. And that sinners are treated with as much respect and dignity as anyone else in the room. In the world of the kingdom, we know that we understand we need to take care of number one first. But in the kingdom of God, we are taught that the best way to take care of yourself is to take care of others. And in the world of the kingdoms of this land, of this world, God is often what we choose to make God out to be. A God made in our own image, in our own likeness. A God that we can find acceptable to the preconceived values that we want to hold on to. But in the kingdom of God, it is not God who is created by us, but rather our understanding that we are created by God. And that in God's kingdom, we serve the God who has made us, and we find our identity and value in that, and choose to serve that kind of God. Jesus wanted to do what was necessary to bring this kingdom into the world. And so he comes into the holy city. And you know what happens after this, right? You may want to jot this down in your notes just to catch it real quickly. What happens right after the Palm Sunday? He goes into the holy temple. What does he do there? First thing he does. He goes to all of those who are selling at tables and they're all around that entry into the temple and creates chaos by turning them over and, abrupt and disrupting that entire process. Why? necessarily because of what they were doing was wrong, but rather prioritization they made of what they're doing was wrong. They began to make their selling of their goods and wares a prerequisite to come into worship, a necessity to go by, an income to be made off of worship, rather than allowing worship to be the primary and most important thing happening in the temple. He wanted to show clearly the prioritization of the kingdom of God is there was no barrier that would keep you from coming to worship the mighty God. So he immediately begins a week by disrupting the status quo. And those in power began to make their plans. After he disrupted those tables in the temple, you know what he did? He stayed in the temple for the next two and a half days, teaching in word and action, healing people who needed to be healed, and teaching lessons of faith that often challenged Right in the shadow of these very people and this very institution he was challenging, he spoke words that contrasted the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. And for those who had become powerful by their righteousness, they weren't comfortable with that. And their plans began to be turned into specific acts. And then comes what we call Thursday night, He goes with his disciples into an upper room and has an intimate meal with them that for us, we now call Holy Communion. 
It's an intimate moment when he gathers his disciples after all the activity that's been going on to say, listen, in this moment, I need to say these things to you. This is important. You have to know what's going on because in a few minutes I'm going to be taken from you. So from now on, when you eat this meal, I'm not going to be with you physically in person, but this sacrament will tell you that I'm intimately with you. This is my body and blood broken and shed for you. And yet even in the middle of that meal, he's betrayed. He's arrested. He's taken and put into a trial that was completely trumped up. You know what happens on Friday, right? He's turned over to be killed. He's crucified. And he's buried. Jesus knew all these things were going to happen as he rides in, listening to the children holler, Hosanna! And their families happily allowing their kids to play around at the feet of the donkey. He knew all this and yet did it because it was necessary. He needed to show them, he needed to show us that it is possible in this world to live in the kingdom of God. He wanted to show us that sometimes it would not be easy, but that it would be triumphant. He wanted to show us the power of God's love, the depth of God's love. God so loved the world. So he did what was necessary so you would know how to finish that statement. He did it so that you and I could know that it is possible for us to do the necessary. All too often, I think Palm Sunday has for us been portrayed as a passive event. The kids wave the palm branches, someone preaches, and you, like that Palm Sunday crowd, like me in the Palm Sunday crowd, stand off to the side and see all the things that Jesus does this week, and we feel bad. Oh, that's really sad. That makes me so sad to see what Jesus had to go through. But this is not a, a spectator sport. This is an invitation for you and I to become to do the necessary as well. Well, what was necessary? You know, in the church, they oftentimes, they, <laughs> I love how I just did that, We oftentimes use the term atonement. This is about atonement. Jesus had to go die for our sins. I want to suggest to you, in the faith that Jesus intended, there might be a different way to talk about this moment. Jesus did the necessary so that you and I could know what it was possible for us to do so that we could do the necessary of living faithfully in this world. And the defeat of sins occurs because Jesus makes it possible by all of the actions of of the Holy Week, including Good Friday, for us to know that there is no sin greater than God's love. That in the kingdom of God, possibilities become reality by the simple act of faithfulness. What's necessary for faith? What do we have to do for faith? I told you that five weeks ago. Do you remember? Love God. Love self. Love your neighbor, including your enemies. That's it. That's what he came to teach us. 
That's what he came to show was possible because this entire week ahead, that's what he's doing. He's loving God by his actions. He's being faithful to God even in the Garden of Gethsemane when he didn't want to be faithful to God. He was faithful to God because he put God first. He loves self, not in some narcissistic, oh, look at me way, but rather in the way of understanding I'm a child of God. And whatever other labels or junk you want to put on me, you cannot override the truth. I'm a child of God. And in that understanding of myself, I act in faith. And he loved neighbors. Holy cow, did he love neighbors. As the song goes, thinking of you and me through all of that. Even his enemies. From the cross. Father, forgive them. And he did so not so we could sit back and say, hey, look how cool Jesus is, or look at everything Jesus had to go through. He did so so we'd be able to say, see what is possible in our life, what's necessary for us to do to live in faithfulness. I have to love God this week. We have to love God this week. At some point, intentionally, more than ourselves or anything else going on, love God. How do you do that? I think the best way to get to know how to love God is to get to know God. To really know who He is, to experience Him, to know His story. This week, I'm going to invite you to join with me. Each day on the church blog, I'm going to be writing about what happens on that day of Holy Week. Luke 19 through 23, you want to write that down? Luke 19 through 23 is the story I'm going to be using of Jesus' entrance into the holy city through the crucifixion. Each day I'm going to be writing about that, give you a chance to get caught up on what is Jesus doing today. I'm going to invite you to fall in love and love God by what Jesus does this week. Hold that to yourself throughout the day. Remember what he's doing for you on that day. Love self. Understand that Jesus does all this, all that's necessary, so that you can do what's necessary. How can you, as the person you are, as the person God made you to be, how can you be an instrument of grace and mercy and compassion and justice in the world? You know you can do it. Because that's what Jesus did all these things for. These necessary things. So you and I could do what's necessary to live as God's child. You have the power of the risen Christ in you. What is it that you can't accomplish? Who is it that you can't reach out to? Love yourself by being the self God intended you to be. Love your neighbor. How do you love your neighbor? You put God first in your relationship with your neighbor. I sent out an Easter letter a couple weeks ago to all of you, and I hope all of you got it. If you didn't, you're getting it now for me. What I did is I invited you to do this. I'm inviting you to invite people. I'm inviting you to invite people to come with you to worship next Sunday or on one of the Sundays soon thereafter if they can't make it then. Why is that a big deal? Because we need to get more people in the church. No, that's not the reason. 
Because there's a story and a message and a community and a faith and possibilities in this life of Jesus Christ. And what is a better thing to do to love your neighbor but invite them to come participate in it with you? If you were living in a desert and your family had unlimited water while your neighbors were dying of thirst, how neighborly would it be for you to hoard the water to yourself? Would you not think it likely that God might want you to say, hey, share the water? An invitation into faith, an invitation into worship, an invitation into into mission, an invitation into classes, an invitation into Christian fellowship is an extension of the grace of Jesus Christ. Come and be a part of the journey. So begin now. Who is it? Who is it that you can reach out to and invite for the sake of Christ to come next Sunday to celebrate the power of his resurrection? Or who can you invite in the weeks to come to be part of a family of faith? Jesus does this week what is necessary so that you and I will not be that Palm Sunday crowd who goes, hey, Jesus, save us now. And then after putting all kinds of false expectations upon him, three days later goes, crucify him. But rather so that we could be a Palm Sunday crowd right now who sees Jesus doing what is necessary for us to experience the fullness of faith and the joy of what it is to live as a child of God. And for us to be a Palm Sunday crowd who's ready to walk with Jesus right through this week and every moment of it, because we know, spoiler alert, what's coming. It's resurrection. It's a great ending. Work towards it this week. And we're celebrated on Sunday. Thanks be to God.